Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Your Age is Not Your Cage with Carla Allen. Today, I am talking to a guest that I have wanted to have on for a while, and this is this is going to be a good one. You're going to love it. Her name is Robin Tout, and I know I say you're going to love it on a lot of them, but you're going to love this one. This is an episode that if you have breast implants, you know someone that has breast implants, you know someone considering getting breast implants, please listen, please share. Robin shares such important information and we dig deep into the politics of it. What is the FDA hiding? What kind of cancers might come from breast implants? What is breast implant illness? Um, financial help, insurance, uh, oh my gosh, so much more. So I want you to share this and join me. I want to tell you a little bit about Robin and I'm her her bio is so impressive. So I want to read some of this for you, but she is a three-time cancer survivor. Uh, she was most recently diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017, which is then what prompted her to get breast implants. And she is an advocate now for raising awareness about breast implant safety and proper informed consent regarding breast implants and other medical devices. She's a co-founder um, for the Global Patient Advocacy Coalition or called GPAC. And she's an administrator on various online support groups for women who are suffering from breast implant illness. She's worked extensively in Arizona um, with the legislators in passing informed consent law for breast implant surgery. And her GPAC team is currently working on similar legislation in other states, which, that, which is so incredible that she is working so diligently to get the word out on this. Um, GPAC has also partnered with American Society of Plastic Surgeons to develop a patient decision checklist for breast implant surgery, so needed to help you be informed. Uh, she collaborated with policymakers to update the NCCN guidelines for breast cancer to include aesthetic flat closure as a surgical option after a mastectomy. She loves doing medical research. She loves digging in deep, just like I do. She's published art articles and magazines and a journal, textbook. She believes that every person out there, every patient should be given the information to make good informed decisions and be their own best health advocate. So I am so excited for you listening to Robin. She, we, we go deep. We share a lot. We talk about so much. So get ready for this one and welcome Robin to your age. It's not your cage. Okay. So welcome my friend Robin to the podcast today. Robin, welcome. Thanks, Carla. Good to good to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. And it's like I've told you, I have listened to you on some other podcasts, found you through Instagram, social media, and just jumped on board with everything you're doing and how you're helping women. And because that is such a passion of mine. And it's why I do what I do um, is because I'm just so passionate about helping women, educating women so they can become their own best health advocate. And you do that so well. 
So I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners, just kind of tell your story, what it's all about, and then we'll go from there. Sure thing. Thank you. So my name is Robin Tout, and um, I'm a co-founder of GPAC, which stands for Global Patient Advocacy Coalition. And um, my my partner and I, we started GPAC. We were both actually harmed by breast implants. Um, I got my breast implants after having breast cancer in 2017. And with that diagnosis, it was my third cancer diagnosis. So I kind of already been around the block a few times. And with that diagnosis, I didn't do any treatment for my um, cancer. I didn't have chemotherapy or radiation or any kind of hormone therapy, but I got really, really sick after having surgery that basically removed both of my breasts. And then I had what's called tissue expanders that they, they're kind of a temporary breast implant that expands the skin to get ready for permanent breast implants. And my health just completely declined after having that surgery. And, you know, I, it's, I'm not a stranger to surgery. Like I said, I, I'm a three-time cancer survivor. So I've had multiple biopsies and part of my lung remove, my thyroid remove, two C-sections, like kind of been around a block there too. Um, but this surgery was different. I just, I had so many complications and pain and just something I'd never experienced with other surgeries. And then I was having health problems on top of you know, just like the surgical, like pain from, from everything. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had joined some breast cancer support groups. I met with other women that were having complications also, but they were blaming it on chemo and other treatments for cancer. So it just wasn't making sense to me. I went back to my doctor four different times. I had severe neck and shoulder pain. Um, she gave me a prescription for pain pills, muscle relaxers, physical therapy, I was in PT three days a week um, during my whole journey. I just was in constant pain, constant fatigue, um, insomnia. I was having heart palpitations. My hair was falling out. I had two bald spots on the top of my head. I lost almost half of my eyelashes. I mean, I was a mess. I was having a rash all over my chest, a rash on my legs. And every time I went back to my doctor, she just gave me more pills. Mm. You know, and that gave me pause. Like, I'm not, I don't like to take medication anyway. So I'm like sitting here looking at all these bottles of pills going, this is not the answer. And so I actually met a woman on a breast cancer group that said, look into your breast implants. Mine made me sick. I had an augmentation for 12 years. Eight of those years, I was really, really sick. So when I asked her what her symptoms were, she replied back and I was literally checking off every single box. Like I had everything. So that made sense to me because I couldn't figure out any other reason for me to be having these problems. And I scheduled to have my implants removed. I only had them in for four months. And literally as soon as they came out, I was back to normal. It was the most wow. insane thing I've ever been through on a health journey. So it was very eye-opening for me. Um, I, of course, I was thrilled because I got my, my life back. I got my health back. You know, at the time, I was a very active middle-aged woman. I was um, very physically active. I live in Arizona where we have beautiful weather, and I enjoy things like golfing and skiing and snowboarding and wakeboarding and boating, and um, I couldn't do any of that. Mm. I literally went from walking five to seven miles a day to I couldn't even walk to my mailbox. So... For me to get that all back, I was excited, but at the same time, I was really frustrated and angry. Like, 
how did this happen to me? And why didn't my doctors tell me? So I started doing a lot of research and really started advocating like in the breast cancer space. And at the time, this was 2017, the FDA wasn't even really admitting that breast implant illness is a thing. So I kind of got a lot of pushback from the breast cancer community. And then I actually found the BII community, which is the breast implant illness, like all these Facebook support groups. There's like hundreds of thousands of women, you know, that are supporting each other. So I was really happy that I found my tribe there and I started advocating and met with a group of women and we went to the FDA and had a a couple meetings. We ended up having in March of 2019, a two day hearing regarding breast implant safety. So a bunch of us testified and, um, you know, we've just been working, we've been trying to work with the medical community, with the FDA and, you know, the plastic surgeon societies and manufacturers to just have better communication between patients and these other entities. And, you know, we're lobbying for safe devices. We're lobbying for legislation to protect patients and inform patients um, because one of the biggest things like I said, I had an issue with this. I was very upset that my doctors didn't tell me this. And as a breast cancer patient, you have a whole team of doctors. You know, you have your breast surgeon, your plastic surgeon, an oncologist. I did meet with a chemo nurse um, because I was considering chemo, but I ended up declining. And all these practitioners, nobody told me your breast implants could make you sick. You could have a reaction to them. They cause multiple forms of cancer. So. Um, yeah, it was quite a wild ride. That's basically wow. how I got to where I am today. Wow. Um, okay, so much there and so so much to unpack and so many questions that I have. Um, let's talk a little bit kind of on the history of breast implants and differences in uh, saline and silicone and, you know, kind of share a little bit on 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 the history of it and uh, because you hear so much on the different types and the different types that well this one's better than the other one so maybe share a little bit on on that for us absolutely so i mean going all the way back to the beginning um for 60 years breast implants have been problematic um they've been a very controversial medical device in the early uh, 19, in the mid 1990s and early 2000s, there was actually a ban on silicone breast implants because women were getting sick. There were 400,000 women that sued Dow Corning because they were saying that their silicone breast implants made them sick. And when I say sick, I'm talking about autoimmune diseases like lupus, fibromyalgia, connective tissue disease. Um, some women were being diagnosed with MS. These implants were rupturing, the silicone was migrating and just literally making women sick. So during that moratorium or the ban, the only available options for breast implants were saline implants. And a lot of people say, well, I'm sure you've heard people say, well, I have the safe ones. It's saline, it's just water, you know, and if they pop, my body is just gonna absorb it. Um, But unfortunately those saline implants, all implants are in a silicone shell. So regardless of what the filling is, they do all have the same silicone components and chemicals that are in these implants. Um, Saline kind of has their own different set of problems. We've seen saline implants come out of women that have mold in them, literally black mold around the valves um, where there's an exchange of fluid, like bodily fluid can get into the implant. Saline can get out of the implant into the woman's body. 
Um, and it's just like a breeding ground for bacteria. And then that leads to infection. It could lead to cancers. So, you know, these devices have been problematic since the beginning. And then after over a decade, the breast implant manufacturers were really harassing the FDA to put them back on the market. They changed the formula a little bit. They made them a little bit more cohesive. Um, so you might have heard the term gummy bear implants. and they use terminology that they think people will understand. So like if you take a gummy bear candy and you cut it in half with a knife, you can pull it apart and like it's not going to ooze or spill out. Um, but what's interesting is the same thing happens to breast implants, the gummy bear implants. If you cut them in half, you can almost pull it apart. And when you put it back together, you can see the stickiness in it. But what they don't tell you is when you put it in the human body at 98.6 degrees, it does get gooey. Yeah. They do rupture. You know, I think a lot of people at first thought these new cohesive gummy bear implants weren't going to rupture. We even see videos of plastic surgeons running over them with their Lamborghini or stepping on them with, with stiletto heels just to prove how strong they are and they're not going to rupture. Um, I actually just did an event a couple of weeks ago in California. We had a golf tournament that was a charity event to raise awareness for breast implant illness. And one of the golfers there actually took the breast implant that was in my body and he teed off with it and hit it with his golf club. Oh, and it, wow. literally, it just like exploded. It was the grossest thing. So I have it sitting in a cup, like out of my garage. I don't even want it in my house. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're not indestructible. They do rupture. They do leak. Yeah. Um, even, even my breast implants, which were brand new, I only had them for four months. When they came out of my body, they were intact. They looked brand new and they weren't broken or leaking or ruptured, but there's something called gel bleed and the chemicals that are in that implant, whether it's silicone or saline, they're in the shell, they permeate through the shell into the body. Mm. And so, you know, I really think I, I don't have the scientific evidence of what specific chemical it was that made me sick, but it really is just like a concoction of chemicals, a chemical soup, if you will. And I don't know which one or all of them combined together, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks and my yeah. body completely shut down. Well, so. and, you know, when your body, when you introduce something foreign into it, you know, it's trying to figure out what to do with that. What what just came in here and do I need to fight it? Do I accept it? What do I do with it? And that's what it makes me think of. And I personally have never had implants. I always thought if I got breast cancer, I would get implants. Um, there was a time I wanted them after I had kids financially, I couldn't. And now I thank God I didn't because I probably would be in the position of, of wanting them out. Um, and so it's that, um, the, the foreign objects going in your body. And so it makes me think about it. Well, maybe, um, breast implant illness is there a definition for it what what you know when people hear that and they're like well what is that even what how do you define that for women um in medical terminology the way the fda and the plastic surgeons will define it is typically a cascade of systemic symptoms in the body that a woman is having a reaction to with the breast implants and then, you know, we've done, there's been a lot of research in just the breast implant illness support groups and sifting through the FDA um, database of their adverse events. 
in what the most common symptoms are. So, um, and all of this is on our website. Our website is gpacunited.org. But just to give you an example of like the most common, I mean, it's it's a pretty comprehensive list, but it's definitely not all of them. But um, fatigue, chronic pain, brain fog, cognitive dysfunction, muscle pain and weakness, joint pain, hair loss, dry skin and hair, premature aging, weight problems, inflammation, insomnia, um, dry eyes, vision problems, thyroid problems, adrenal problems, hormone imbalance, low libido, slow healing, choking. Um, I always felt like I had this feeling of choking, difficulty swallowing, difficulty breathing, chronic infections, digestive issues, fevers, night sweats, skin rashes, ear ringing, food intolerance, headaches, and migraines. That was one of my biggest ones. Every day I had a headache. Every single day of my life. Um, heart palpitations. That was super scary for me. I'd never had anxiety or panic disorder or anything my whole life. And I would be sitting on the couch and just felt like I ran a marathon and my heart was just racing. And it's kind of like you said, you know, I think the body, my body felt like it was in fight or flight all the time, you know, and I've had instances in my life where I've been in fight or flight. Like I witnessed um, a pretty bad car accident one time. And the car just literally crashed right next to me. None of them hit me, but I, you know, I saw it right there close up. And you know how your heart races after mm -hmm. that? That's what my body was doing. But nothing was going on. I was literally sitting on the couch watching Netflix because I couldn't do anything. I could barely get like one errand, uh, you know, done or a, a chore in the house completed, you know, that day. So it was crazy. It was the most, and I've had cancer three times. Yeah. But breast implant illness was the craziest thing I've ever been through. Well, so as you name that crazy long list of symptoms, you know, I think I would think people ask you, but how do I know? Because how many other illnesses or menopause or whatever it, you're like, well, how do I know which one it is? How would you answer that? That is the most difficult part, because unfortunately, yeah. there's not a test yeah. to see if it's your breast implants. And truly the only way to really know is to rule everything else out or to remove the breast implants and see if you get better or, you know, all of the above, which many women do not by choice, but because the medical community is so uninformed about this, that these women just spend years chasing a diagnosis because they're having all these systemic illnesses. So when they have the headaches and migraines every day, they're going to go see a neurologist. But that neurologist doesn't know breast implants can cause this. You know, if they're having ringing in the ears or they're having hair and skin issues, they're going to go to a dermatologist and the dermatologist is going to treat them with a bunch of topicals or, you know, oral medications. They don't know. Yeah. It could be the breast implants. So really education and awareness is key with the medical community. We've been begging the FDA to just alert the entire medical community that these kinds of systemic symptoms can be happening in women with breast implants and they're dragging their feet. They won't do well, it. And that's what I was going to say. If, if the other care providers, doctors were aware of these, where women do come to them, one of the questions can be, do you have implants? Well, this potentially could be causing your migraines or your heart palpitations or whatever it is. Um, and I mean, wouldn't that create just uh, amazing awareness where, because I, I feel pretty confident, probably a lot of women don't relate it. They're probably 
not thinking about it. I don't know for me because I am so immersed in the health world and health coaching and the things that I do. Anything foreign in me is something I would think of first. Oh, maybe that's causing this symptom. But, you know, not everybody is on that page and knows to at what questions to ask or what to look for. Exactly. And, you know, I think in society, we've kind of normalized breast implants ever since, you know, ever since Pamela Anderson came into Baywatch with a red bikini and, yeah. you know, and then it was just kind of a trend for a while. But I think a lot of people don't think it's their implants because the problems aren't with their breasts, right? They're, they're elsewhere in the body. So in everyone's defense, you know, we don't know what we don't know. But, you know, for decades, plastic surgeons are telling women, it's not your implants. I, I don't have any women who have had problems with their implants because they're not coming back to you. They don't have a problem with their breasts. They're having headaches. Their hair is falling out. They have a skin rash. They're at the dermatologist. They're at the pulmonologist because they can't breathe and they're having, you know, breathing and lung issues. So honestly, it's just a shit show. If you ask me, it, it just, the, the lack of awareness, but it all comes from, you know, there's a lot that's been hidden about this. It's a big industry, like an $83 billion industry. And they so, don't want to lose that. They don't want to lose it, you no. know? And so we, we look at the history of breast implants going back to that, and they've never properly studied breast implants. Studies were never designed to look for these health impacts on the body. Many of the studies were designed to show if they're safe and effective just by the aesthetics. Do your breast implants look great? Yep. Are you happy with your breasts? Yes, ma'am. You know, uh, do they look good? Are they even? Are they symmetrical? And so those are kind of some of the follow-up questions that plastic surgeons ask or studies will be, you know, looking for. But even the manufacturers, you know, when, when they came back to the market in 2006, the FDA demanded that each manufacturer follow over 42,000 women for over 10 years. None of the manufacturers did that. None of them fulfilled that commitment. And that was part of their pre-market approval agreement. So then let's fast forward a little bit. And we found out in 2019, the FDA was hiding over 446,000 reports of women harmed by breast implants. Wow. So if someone was astute enough to say, hmm, I wonder if breast implants are safe, I'm going to go on the FDA website, which is public information, and look at the you know, harmed patient reports. Well, there's, there's a lot of flaws in the FDA reporting system. Um, you can only see the last 500 reports that were filed. So you couldn't see like a whole long history of breast implants. But if you were to look at the breast implants, like and take some snapshots over a year, it looked like maybe only two to 3,000 women were having any complications with breast implants every year, which isn't bad for 300,000 women a year in the United States that get breast implants. But the numbers were actually more like 40 to 50,000 per year. And the FDA was hiding that information. Wow, that's incredible. And what is um, the black box warning? What is that for those that don't know what that is? So when we had the two-day hearing in 2019, a lot of us were asking for them to put a black box warning. And most people that hear of a black box warning think of things like cigarettes, right? right? There's a Surgeon General's warning on every pack of cigarettes saying, you know, 
we know that cigarettes cause lung cancer. We know that they're harmful to pregnant women. Um, so people still buy cigarettes because it's an informed and educated choice. And we are just asking, we're not saying, hey, ban every implant on the market, but you do need to let patients know breast implants can cause cancer. Breast implants can cause systemic illnesses. So we've asked the FDA to do that. And they did put that black box warning on all breast implants um, as part of their labeling. The problem with that is if you think of a patient who's getting breast implants, they're never going to see the box that the implants come in because they're asleep, you know, under anesthesia on the operating table. Um, but where we've asked them to include that black box warning is in the informed consent paperwork that we're asking surgeons to do a better job informing patients because the typical, you know, uh, GPAC did a survey in 2020 and we got over 5,000 women responded to our survey. And we were basically just asking them, did you get patient information with your breast implants? Did you get the patient information booklet that comes with each manufacturer's product? 86% of women never got any of that. Oh, wow. That's a problem. And so how are we really supposed to make an educated decision if we don't have that information? So I actually passed a law here in the state of Arizona where I live that surgeons are mandated now by law to give that information to patients. Hmm. And I also developed a patient decision checklist that kind of explains it more in layman's terms that are more easily understood because, you know, I was kind of sitting around one day thinking of a 21 year old who, you know, is in college, just starting her career, wants her figure to look a certain way. Um, is she going to understand terminology like lupus and fibromyalgia, connective tissue disease, Hashimoto? Most people don't know what those are unless you're in the healthcare industry or you have a family member or yourself who's been sick with one of those things. So we really wanted it to be very easily understood so that if people did experience complications, you know, it wasn't going to take them 10 to 15 years to figure it out. Yeah. Like some so. Yeah. Well, and as you as you talk about that, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. So since you went went that direction too with the younger, I think of the younger generations, the younger women. And I think about maybe the 21-year-old, whoever it is, like you were talking about, they're not wanting to read all that fine print because that's where the scary stuff is, you know? And um it, it, if if you're wanting it aesthetically, you're like, you don't really want to know, you kind you know, kind of head in the sand kind of thing. But if you're um talking to the younger generation that is thinking about it, and even the a majority of my audience is midlife and beyond, um, although I do have younger listeners too, but all those women have a daughter or a granddaughter or a niece or or someone they know that may consider implants. You know, what what do you share with them um, um, going forward if if they really do want to get implants? What are you, what's your thoughts? One of the biggest complaints we see is women, you know, feel betrayed that they weren't told the truth about even just if you're not experiencing health complications from your implants, the maintenance and upkeep of them alone, you're talking Let's talk about a 21-year-old, right? She goes in, gets her first set of breast implants. At some point, she will have to remove and replace or just remove those implants. She might have to do it multiple times. If she's lucky, they might last 10 years. If she's not, within a year, she might have capsular contracture and have to go in and spend another $5,000 to have that fixed or to have the implant switched out to a different type. So, you know, I think 
there's been this stigma that it's an easy operation. You know, these, you just go in, it's like getting a pedicure or getting your nails done or your hair done. You just get your boob job. You can go back to work on Monday. And it's really not, you know, we're talking about long-term health consequences. We're talking about a lifetime, signing up for a lifetime of surgical operations, which are not cheap. They're not covered by insurance. And every time you go under the knife, something could go wrong. And every time you cut into your breast, you're creating more scar tissue. You're creating more trauma to that area. And your chances of them looking not so great increase with each operation, each revision. So, you know, it's it's really sad because women are doing this, most women. So there's 300,000 women a year that are doing it for augmentation cosmetic reasons. And then about 100,000 that are doing it for like breast cancer reconstruction like I have. But at the end of the day, women are doing this because they want to look a certain way and they want to look good. But what the doctors aren't telling you is now your breasts are all scarred up. And as the implants age, they deteriorate, they start to fall in the pocket. Then you need a lift, which means now you have scars around your nipples or you, you know, start an anchor lift, which is like straight down and then across. And so if you look at just what a typical 21 year old woman looks like, I mean, they're just beautiful the way they are. No. Fast forward to when they're 50 and they've had three operations and they're all scarred up and, you know, they didn't anticipate that. Nobody told them that. And they probably wouldn't have done it had they known. Well, I don't think you think that long term, you know, even even back when it was a thought in my mind after kids, never once did I think, okay, if I do this at this age, uh, when will I need it done again? What does this mean? What will that never even crossed my mind. It was kind of once they're in, they're in. And, you know, as I I got older and I have friends that have them that then had them in for, uh, you know, 15, 20 years and started uh, experiencing some issues. And one friend went in and I mean, she had leaked all through her body. She had to have um, a few procedures. It was in lymph nodes. It had gone everywhere. Um, and again, for her, she didn't really think about, wow, I, I I probably should have these changed out. And it was a good 20 years. And so I think you, you are not looking at long term. And at that age, you're so focused just on how you want to look and how the culture tells us that, that we need to look that I, you're not looking that far ahead. And I think that's such a good point uh, for women to know that it's an investment and it's an investment over the years. And like you said, but uh, surgeries and I mean, uh, to to put that on your body so many times, it, it's hard on your system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the older we get, the more difficult surgery will be. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so and I'm looking at um, some of my notes because how do... Um, our listeners, then how do they advocate for themselves? Like, how do they report problems or if they have issues, you know, what, what, what kind of steps for women that out there that have had troubles, what, you know, what can they do? Well, first and foremost, it's super important to find practitioners and plastic surgeons that are educated about breast implant illness, Um, especially plastic surgeons that really know the importance of removing there's a scar tissue capsule that forms around the breast implant 
it's super important to remove that capsule because as we talked about gel bleed earlier and all those chemicals leaking into the body, your body builds that capsule to protect you from the foreign object. And so all those chemicals are in that capsule and whatever else might be there, bacteria, biofilm, you know, there's a bunch of different theories out there. So it's super important. The most important thing is to find a surgeon who understands the importance of that. Um, it's very controversial right now in the plastic surgeon community, removing capsules or not. But, you know, at this point, with as sick as women are getting, we have to err on the side of common sense. And we don't know everything about breast implants, but we also don't have the luxury of just waiting around to see, oh, all these women that remove their implants, but not capsules. Let's see if they get cancer now. That's not fair. So let's just do the right thing and remove the capsule because that is taking away some of the risk because that's where the cancer develops is in that capsule. Yeah. Well, why would you leave that in there? You know, and, and if there's issues, then there's another surgery that you have to go back for instead of having it done at that time. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I love that you brought that up because um, as far as finding a surgeon or something, and, and you can share on that, what's the best ways. And I know some of the support groups and the Facebook groups, I've had a couple friends of mine on that one did remove her implants. And so she did share a lot of information on it. And she's the one that introduced me, even though I don't have the implants, it's just something I'm so passionate about helping women learn about. I got on that group on Facebook and wow, I mean, the support and just the amount of information and the things that I've learned through that um, is just incredible. And I know that's where some people have found their surgeons and also just through um, someone that's been through it that then can refer who they went to. Because one of my friends did go to a couple of doctors that just pretty much told her she was crazy and you don't need these out. There's no, nothing wrong with those. Yeah. Um, and so if there's other, other places that you can direct women to um, for finding the surgeons that will do that, um, that right. would be great too. You know, the, the biggest support group I think is almost at 200,000 women right now. It's probably um, the one I follow too. Yeah. And there's, um, there's many local and regional support groups as well. So um, if you're specifically looking for a doctor in your area, um, you know, obviously that's the easy way to do it is find someone where you live or, you know, there's a lot of states that just, I don't know, for whatever reason, don't have a specific plastic surgeon. So some women do travel to the next state over. I mean, some women will come from other countries and come and have their implants removed in the United States because, some of the surgeons are so well-versed in breast implant illness and removing the capsules. But I think my biggest rec recommendation would be to join a local group and literally just talk to women in that group that have used those doctors. Yeah. And, you know, I run several of those groups and, you know, that's where you're just really going to get the real life experiences. And I highly recommend making at least three consultation appointments because someone that loves their surgeon, that surgeon might not be a good fit for another person. So you really just have to pick with, go with who you feel comfortable with, who you kind of, you know, had the best connection with. Um, and then just read about women's experiences that have been through it. Um, act for pictures. A lot of the women, most of the groups are private, closed groups. So people will post pictures of their breasts and their aesthetic results. Um, don't show your nipples because <laughs> we'll get kicked off Facebook. 
But so you can see before and after pictures and you can actually see the surgeon's work. And it's funny because most of the women are asking, oh, you know, how do your breasts look now? And I'm over here with my, you know, with my magnifying glass going, let me see those capsules. I want to make sure you took the capsules out. I don't care what your breasts look like. I just want to make sure, you know, he gave you the best shot at getting your health back. So, but yeah, Uh, those, those support groups are super helpful. And then, you know, they're also fun because women will have items that they bought for surgery, like you know, pillows and drain holders and stuff. And we pass them along to the next patients and go have lunch or coffee with, with local women that have been through it. So it really is like a sisterhood, you know, it it really is. And for anyone that's been through it, um, like you said, they'll even post like afterwards, the best bra they found or swimsuit or, you know, I mean, really, so it is such a, a great community and, um, I I will put it in the show notes to definitely all the information. So it's there. So, so that women can go find that. Um, but when you talk, uh, I think probably a lot of concern for women taking them out. Well, for one cost, and maybe you can address that too. Uh, are there ways that they can get help with the cost of these surgeries? But also my guess, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, is a lot of women are just like, but what am I going to look like? I've had these forever or my husband, boyfriend will never let me, um, you know, get these taken out. He likes how I look. What, what I'd love for you to share on that. It, it is really interesting. Um, my, my GPAC co-founder, Terry Diaz also helps run the breast implant health summit with our friend, Danielle Valores. She's a PA and she was also harmed by breast implants. And so now that she's made it her mission to help women that um, were harmed by implants and the, um, they, they, so there's a lot of information there that they have with the health summit and they had, um, some men on there that they interviewed whose wives explanted. There was a guy that did a, like a Facebook live several years ago and it went viral, you know, and he was like in tears, just talking about his wife. And he's like, you don't, you guys, you don't understand. You might think you love your wife's breast, but I just want my wife back. I just want my healthy partner back. And, you know, truly like for me, I'm a perfect example of that. I have no breasts. I have nothing. I'm like as flat as a, you know, 10 year old boy, but you know, I've been married for 24 years at the time. And my, my husband was just like, I just want my wife back. You know, my kids just wanted their mom back. So it really is empowering when you connect with these other people, these other families, because I think that's the most shocking thing to the plastic surgeon community is these women's aesthetic results may not look perfect, you know, as plastic surgeons, you know, that's what their goal is. They don't care. These women don't care. They want their life back. They want their life back. They want their health back. Um, I mean, some of them are just so sick. They're like, I don't even care if I have breasts, but there are, you know, concerns that you do want to have a good aesthetic result. But I will say this, I've been advocating in this space for about six years and our surgeons that do explants on a regular basis, they're true artists. I, I can't believe how great their results look for these women who have been through so much and gotten sick. Um, and so really it's about finding the right surgeon. Yeah. It is a costly surgery. And I think there's a lot of misinformation about that because, um, you know, you'll hear a general statement like, oh, hey, you're getting your boob job for $5,000. Make sure you save up $10,000 when you have to get them removed. 
because that is about the average price. I mean, I've seen women go to really expensive plastic surgeons and get quotes upwards of $27,000 for an explant, lift, fat transfer, and all that. Um, but you have to understand getting breast implants put in is such an easy surgery. They literally make a small incision. They use something called like a Keller funnel and they just pop the implants in, sew the patient up. It's super easy. Doesn't take much time at all in the OR. Um, but explant surgery, you know, you have to be highly skilled and talented and it is a longer surgery. So you're going to be booking the OR for a longer period of time, which is more expensive. So, um, you know, but the, the misinformation from other plastic surgeons, they're like, oh, these explant surgeons are just capitalizing off the women. It's like, they're not charging any more than you are for a mommy makeover, same OR time. You know, there's, there's a lot of contention in the plastic surgery community. It's kind of an internal war, the eggplant surgeons versus the naysayers that don't believe in BII, but there's enough space for everybody. And and my best advice, I actually, um, you know, have regular meetings with the plastic surgeon societies. And one of my recommendations to them was, you know, when people go on their website to look for a surgeon in their area, you can type in your zip code. I've asked them if you know, you're never going to get 100% of people to agree on anything ever. And I'm okay with that. So if you don't believe in BII, great. If you don't believe in explant and taking out capsules, great. But they should have a filter where when a woman types in their zip code to find a surgeon to remove their implants, that surgeon doesn't even pop up on the search. Because we've literally had women walk out of these plastic surgeons office in tears, because they've been gaslit and told, you know, like your friend, these aren't making you sick. Everything you're reading online is crazy. These women are nuts. And, you know, they just spend $150 on a consultation and walked out in tears. So, you know, my plea to them is please then don't even accept explant consultations if that's the narrative you're going to be pushing. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to believe in it. I'm not going to try and beat you over the head with the data, which we have tons of. It's just, if you're not going to believe it, you're not going to believe it. But please don't treat the patients like that who are seeking help looking for answers and just want their implants out properly. Yeah. And will insurance cover if it is, if it, I mean, I guess you never really know for sure. You can't prove that it's caused by that, but if women are sick and they have all these issues, are there any insurances that will cover? There's a lot more um, cases that we're seeing insurance will cover. Typically insurance will usually cover if you have ruptured implants. Um, so that's good. If you have what's called stage four capsular contracture. So when you get breast implants and we talked about that scar tissue that forms around it, sometimes when your body's kind of reacting to the implants, that scar tissue becomes very hard and painful. And it literally feels like you have baseballs in your chest. It's very uncomfortable. It's very painful. Um, and it's graded from one through four. And if you have the worst stage of contracture, typically insurance will cover that as well. But just in in the last six years that we've seen more and more women go in, um, the biggest frustration is most plastic surgeons don't even deal with insurance. That's the beauty of their specialty is most plastic surgeries are cash pay because they're elective procedures and cosmetic procedures. So they don't even deal with insurance, which is a problem because then the women are forced to file a claim with their insurance by themselves which you totally can do. So if the plastic surgeon says we don't do that, that's fine. You can file a claim by yourself. Um, typically it's denied the first time because insurance companies are just conditioned to deny everything. 
But my suggestion is to file an appeal or four, <laughs> because sometimes it takes two or three times. Yeah. Um, but have your case built. Like if you have a rupture, if you have pain, um, a lot of times it's covered just for pain, but you have to have that documented. You know, if you went to your PCP and, you know, they did, or your OBGYN was doing your annual exam and you told her, you know, I was having pain. If you can get letters from those practitioners saying this patient is having problems with their breasts, this patient is experiencing, you know, systemic symptoms, which the FDA has now acknowledged, you know, can be uh, caused by breast implants. So you basically kind of have to build your case and provide all the data and information. It's a lot of work. It's very frustrating to deal with insurance. Um, I help women for free. If they need help, um, give them suggestions, help them write letters, tell them which doctors to go back and get, you know, uh, post-op reports or just kind of anything that they can get to build their case. But we are seeing more and more insurance um, covering these cases. Yeah. Well, and and health is worth it. You know, it's just it's worth it and it's worth the fight and it's worth, um, you know, doing what you can. If that's what's holding you back, you know, fight for it and and regain your health back. And while we're on that subject of it, what are the cancers? What what cancers are being seen from the implants? So it's really frustrating. They have known about multiple cancers caused by breast implants since the early 1990s. Oh, wow. But they've chosen not to talk about it. Mm. Um, so the first one we heard about was in 2011, they were talking about ALCL, which stands for anaplastic large cell lymphoma. And the FDA made an announcement in 2011 that textured, mostly textured implants um, with a rough surface were causing this um, type of lymphoma. And right after that announcement, the two National Plastic Surgeon Societies in the United States held a joint webinar and they told their society members to not call it a cancer. Don't tell the women they have cancer. We don't wanna frighten them. We don't wanna cause alarm and panic. So instead tell them they have a condition and you know we'll, we'll treat it by removing the implants. They might need chemotherapy or radiation. And you know there was a plastic surgeon that came forth as a whistleblower who was very uncomfortable while viewing that webinar and he, ratted them out. And he actually went to the FDA and told the FDA what was going on. Now, to be clear, the FDA's job is to regulate medical devices and medical device manufacturers. They don't do anything with doctors, surgeons. They actually stepped in and sent a memo to the societies telling them to take that webinar down because that information was false. This is cancer. They need to call it such. So, you know, there's always been this underlying shadiness going on about the cancers and the shh, don't, let's not talk about it. Maybe if we don't talk about it, people won't know about it and people won't look for it. Yeah. So how are you going to know if you have the cancer if you don't even know about it? Yeah. So then last year, just a little over a year ago, the FDA announced other cancers that are caused by breast implants. So we have other T-cell lymphomas. B cell lymphomas. Um, then we have squamous cell carcinoma, which most people have heard of squamous cell carcinoma as a skin cancer because it is an epithelial cancer. So skin cancers, we have basal cell, squamous cell, melanoma, right? Those are the three most common. But breast implant squamous cell carcinoma is totally different. 
because if it's a skin cancer, it's usually highly treatable. You know, you have it removed. Um, sometimes they have this little cream the dermatologist will give you and you go on your way. But in when it's caused by breast implants, it is highly aggressive and highly invasive. It metastasizes very quickly. Um, it's worse than pancreatic cancer. 50% of patients that are diagnosed with this cancer are dead within six months mm -hmm. because it doesn't respond to chemotherapy. It doesn't respond to radiation. The only way to stop this cancer is to remove it aggressively. And so what we're seeing, and I have found case studies as, back, as far back as 1992. And what we're seeing is these women develop, the cancer develops in the breast implant capsule, that scar tissue I was telling you about. And we're seeing that women have the cancer spread to both breasts, their sternum, their ribs, mm -hmm. um, nearby surrounding tissue and organs. One woman had it spread to her heart. And so the only way to remove it is to literally cut an enormous hole in the chest. I, I've seen the, the one patient had her sternum removed, four ribs removed, her heart repaired, and she's literally left with like a basketball size hole in her chest. Um, another patient, the, def the defect in her chest was so big, they had to remove um, part of her thigh and bring that tissue up to close the hole because they just had to remove everything. It was just, you know, infested with cancer. Um, and that woman that had this huge, you know, basically from the, a little bit, maybe four inches above her knee to her upper thigh. So she has a big scar there. She has a big scar on her chest. She was just a 21 year old girl who wanted a boob job. Yeah. That was it. And at age 51, that's what she looks like now. Oh my goodness. Wow. So tragic. Yeah. It is. But they're keeping it very quiet. And, you know, the FDA announced these cancers over a year ago. We have had multiple meetings with them asking them to alert the entire medical community about this because it is such an aggressive cancer. It has to be caught early or these patients will die. Um, you know, half of them die within six months of being diagnosed. And just to put it in perspective, so ALCL, the first cancer they announced, at the one-year mark, only 2% of patients die. Mm. With SCC at the six-month mark, 50% of patients die. That's it, it's, it's really horrible. And um, I completely blame the FDA for that, for not educating medical professionals about this. They are preventing women from getting a timely cancer diagnosis and life-saving surgery, mm. 100%. Wow, that is incredible. Now, what about other illnesses that surface that are seen as pretty common? Um, what are some of the other maybe chronic illnesses or things that that come up? You know, it's I think you mentioned earlier, like so many things can be from other stuff, right? right. And as women have gone from practitioner to practitioner seeking answers, they are told things and and gaslit like basically oh you're just a busy mom you're chasing three kids around oh you're in a stressful job oh you're in an, an abusive marriage and it's the stress it's stress it's hormones um your hormones are off you're you're premenopausal i had a patient who was 26 years old and was told she just had early menopause mm. um that's not normal to yeah. be in menopause at 26 years old but then she removed her breast implants and got her cycle back mm. So she wasn't in menopause, yeah. but these chemicals are endocrine disruptors. They're neurotoxins. So they're causing all these problems. And like you said, I mean, I feel like we know somebody everywhere that has an autoimmune disease or celiacs or gluten intolerance. 
Hashimoto's, thyroid problems. Um, some of these women are like, oh, I'm not sick. My implants are fine. I don't ever even see the doctor except to refill my thyroid medication. It's like thyroid is one of the biggest things that we see with yeah. women who are harmed by breast implants. But we just think that's normal. We just exactly. write that off to normal or as, as we get to midlife and aging, it's all goes back to, well, that's menopause. That's you know, I'm just getting older. That that's why it's so difficult. And it's it's why it's so important too to know your body and to be an advocate. And you know, I find being in the health and fitness and nu- nutrition space, and um, it is so prevalent um implants in that space, which is also somewhat confusing and conflicting because you're as these influences out there, you're in this space and, and promoting, you know, good health and all the things that you put in your body and the nutrition, but yet you have these toxic substances potentially in your body. Um, but that is seen more as normal, just like, um, and yeah, that's, um, when that can be such a huge contributor to uh, what's going on in so many women's bodies. Yeah. You know, as a society, I feel like we've normalized being sick. Like everyone's on some kind of medication for something. Yeah. And it is not normal. You know, uh, by the time people get to be 60s, 70s, 80 years old, I mean, you see them taking just handfuls of pills and supplements and, none of it normal. I mean, there's so many toxins and environmental factors that we're fighting every single day with our bodies. Um, but at the end of the day, breast implants are not healthy for anybody. There is not a single ingredient in them, you know, that could be considered healthy. In fact, you know, most of the chemicals that are in there, I can't even pronounce. I mean, I know what acetone is because they use, use it to remove nail polish, but isopropanol, that's like alcohol, you know, um, but just a list of heavy metals. So I had mentor breast implants and in those uh, amongst others, there's arsenic, uh, chromium, cobalt, copper, lead, magnesium, mercury, nickel, platinum, tin. I, I mean, I can't even wear cheap earrings that have nickel in them because they, you know, I, I have a reaction. And all that's in your body. Yeah. Which, I mean, is just mind blowing that everything you just listed then is being placed in your body. And like you talked about before, when you're, you know, you know, your body warms up. I mean, these things are leaching. Are there ways for women to find out like from uh, like, you know, which ones you had for them to look up what's in theirs? Depending on when their surgery was, um, I mean, even as far back as the 90s, typically when you have these surgeries, you get a card. It's an identification card that tells you the manufacturer and the serial number of your implant. So it's about the size of your driver's license or credit card. The only problem is a lot of women maybe lost their card, um, misplaced it. But, you know, if you have the card, you can look those implants up to see if they've been recalled, to see if there's any manufacturing defects with them. Or look up the chemical ingredients just to see if maybe there is an ingredient there that you're reacting to. I mean, I don't know anybody who can have all that, those I just named that I can pronounce in their body and and can be healthy. You know what I mean? 
Right. So, and, and we all have a toxic load that we're carrying around. And at some point, you're going to reach a tipping point, you know? And for me, I was totally fine before I had breast cancer. I mean, obviously I had cancer growing to me, so I wasn't totally fine, but I was living my life. I was healthy. I was kind of managing. But then when those implants were put in my body, it was just too much. It was just toxic overload. Yeah. And my body reacted right away. And I do feel sad for the women. I mean, I feel very fortunate that it happened so quickly and literally hit me like a ton of bricks because some of these women, the symptoms just creep up very wow. slowly, mm-hmm. like one symptom a year. And then all of a sudden the next year they're getting migraines and the next year their hair starts falling out, but they're like, Oh, I'm 40 now. And my hair is thinning. And that's normal. I mean, mine, I had bald spots and literally chunks out of my eyelashes. Like that's not normal. And I have good, thick, lush eyelashes. So really know your normal. And if something isn't your normal, be in tune to that, you know, because none of this being unhealthy and these symptoms are, are normal. There's something going on in the body and, you know, we got to get to the root cause, but Western medicine is so quick to just prescribe instead of finding out what is really causing this. And that's my biggest complaint with the, you know, the research done on breast implants. They're not looking for root cause. It's all about aesthetics, but um, that's a whole different beast in and of it. Well, (laughs) and the, and the normal, you might go to the doctor and your labs are normal, but it's also based on how you feel and what is going on with your body and your symptoms. And it it is, it's getting to that root, not just putting a bandaid and someone's normal doesn't mean that that is your normal. And it's a lot of times, even with lab work, if my, if I have anything that's like uh, one little uh, number, you know, almost to the, the higher low range. Well, I look into that and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low on that or, And again, it is, it's just not, not trusting in just what a normal quote unquote lab range is or whatever, listen to your body and your symptoms. And, um, and I want to ask you, I want to touch on briefly um, other types of implants. Um, I never heard much about mesh and it became a little more interesting to me and prevalent because it was discovered um, before I donated a kidney that I have a hernia and it's way up high and it's a small one. So they, it doesn't warrant anything happening, which I'm so glad at the time I didn't do it because since then I've learned a little bit more. And I know you've talked a little bit and, and shared stuff on the mesh. And I'm like, I am so glad now that I know what I know now, if I do have to have this repaired, I I won't be going that route, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, and it's, it's not just mesh. Um, it's basically any medical device or implant can cause the same exact symptoms that I just listed about breast implant illness. And I really stumbled upon this. Um, I think it was a mesh patient that reached out to me when I had posted about the law we passed in Arizona. And she said, how did you do that? And, and can you do one for mesh? And I'm like, I'm sure. So I started researching. I started talking with her. We had a couple of meetings on the phone and I was shocked at all the same systemic symptoms. Mesh. Um, if you've ever seen the bleeding edge documentary, 
There was a birth control device, Esure, IUDs can cause all the same things um, because they're made of the same ingredients. Um, many people, and this is very sad, and this is where I still just preach informed consent because many people don't even know they have a medical device in their body. They're like, oh yeah, I had a hernia and I just went and got it fixed. They have no idea the doctor put mesh in them. Yeah. And um, gallbladder. So many people have had their gallbladders removed and they use clips to clip the blood vessels, you know? So anything from a tubal ligation, gallbladder clips, thyroid surgery, hernia surgery, most likely they're using something, even a breast biopsy. If you've ever had a mammogram and then they're like, oh, this is an area we want to watch. They will do a biopsy. And at the same time of the biopsy, they pop a little metal clip in your breast. And they don't even tell you that they did it. What's that for? To mark it so that, and this makes me so angry because I've had it done twice. They mark the area in the breast where your tumor is or the mass or, you know, cyst or whatever it is they're watching. And so that when you go in for your follow-up and maybe go to your mammogram next year, the tech, the technician can see it. The technician can see it anyway. Like I have a picture of my breast cancer tumor. Like you can't miss it. But not only that, if you have a bad mammogram and they're doing a biopsy, you most likely had an ultrasound. And when you go into ultrasound, if you've ever had a baby, it's just like having an ultrasound on your baby. You know, they take all these measurements. And so they look at your breast and if the mass is here, you know, they measure that it's like one o'clock from the nipple position. They don't need to use those clips. I'm sorry. And before those clips were invented, what did they do? They're completely unnecessary. It's just another charge on your account that your insurance will pay for, but it's not necessary. Those technicians can find the same math, the same SIFT, whatever it is they're looking at without using those clips. And they're putting them in patients and not even signing, you know, having them sign informed consent or describing to them, this is what we're doing. We're going to take your gallbladder out and you're going to have 17 clips in your gallbladder, metal clips. That is so interesting because I had a cyst removed years ago, a very large one. And I'm like, I wonder, do I have have a clip in there? Um, Because I did, I had one removed. What about things like staples and and screws? And um, because unfortunately I have staples in me. Um, I didn't know they were going to use staples. Yeah. I was quite shocked to know that I have them in there, but what do you do now? So a lot of times when people have a broken bone, they will fix it with pins and screws and rods and, you know, staples. And um, there, there are orthopedic surgeons now that are using them as a temporary fix. And then they will go back in for another surgery and have them removed. Um, I actually, two years ago, uh, amputated the top of my thumb, slammed it in my husband's tailgate and everything was hanging off except just the fat pack right here. And so I had to have emergency surgery and the guy, the the doctor was already on his way home um, for the day and he wasn't seeing patients the rest of the week. And my urgent care doctor who happens to live behind me kind of did a favor and sent my pictures and x-rays to him. He, my, my x-rays were so bad. He turned around He was on his way home and he came back to his office to see me and I had emergency surgery the next morning. And when I went to see him, um, you know, I just told him, I said, I don't want, I don't put anything in there, no pins, no this. And he's like, well, you know, sometimes we have to fix a broken bone with a pin to hold it in place. I go, then just take it off. Just literally take off the top of my thumb. And he looked at me like I had three heads, like I was a crazy person. And I'm like, you don't understand. I had a really bad reaction to breast implants. And 
And he just kept looking at me and he said, but if I do that, you'll have one thumb shorter than the other. And I looked at him like, I have no boobs. Yeah. Do you care? <laughs> I don't care about my thumb. <laughs> it was so funny. He was, he was a fun guy, but uh, I think he thought I was a little, a little nutty, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm that adamant about it. You know, if it can be done without that, you need to advocate for yourself and ask to have it done that way. It can be done that way because these medical devices, you know, all these new cutting edge things, they haven't always been around. So, you know, I hate to sound so antiquated, but sometimes I think we need to go back to the old school way of practicing medicine. Just because we have these access to these shiny new toys doesn't mean it's in the best interest of patients. It is in the best interest of doctors because it makes their job a lot easier to slap a metal marker in a breast. So it only takes 30 seconds to find it instead of looking for it on this, on the, you know, imaging or to slap a piece of mesh on a hernia instead of using native tissue to repair it like they used to. And medical students aren't even being taught. Surgeons aren't being taught how to fix a hernia using native tissue repair. They are taught now to just slap a piece of mesh on it. Mm-hmm. And now we're having all these complications with mesh and then the mesh can, you know, migrate to your organs. Your, I, I've seen patients where it will migrate to their intestines and will literally strangulate their intestine and then it bursts and then they have fecal matter, you know, that causes them to go septic. So, yeah. and they can die. Yeah. It's, it's very serious and they need to take it seriously. And again, it's like the wild, wild west where there's just no tracking or monitoring these patients and they're not following you know, what's going on post-operatively. And, and it's, it's really, it needs to change. It's unacceptable. Well, and it just makes me think that that is why it is so important that we advocate for ourselves and that when we go into these procedures, that we really ask all the questions, we read the paperwork, you know, we, we do our due diligence and our research and we dig in and and that's what I've learned in over taking care and helping my dad through Alzheimer's um, and going to the doctor's office with him and advocating for him when I made several doctors very angry um, because they didn't like what I was saying or what I was reading and you know, but I'm like, this is my dad and he can't advocate for himself. So I'm going to do it. And it's just so important um, before you do any procedure or put anything in your body yeah. is to really just do your research and your due diligence and, and take care of your own health. Um, but gosh, I love this so much. I probably forgot some stuff. And um, but I feel like we covered, um, you know, such a wide gamut of things. Is there anything you can think of maybe you wanted to share that I haven't asked you or anything else you'd love to get out there to the listeners? I think just to sum it up, just advocate for yourself, ask the questions like you just said. Um, And, you know, uh, it's kind of disheartening when, when you hear doctors say, well, Dr. Google, stop looking at Dr. Google. I mean, these patients in these support groups, this, this is their lifeline. This is the life preserver. Some of them have been seeking for decades. Um, So, talk to other people, do the research. Um, we have a lot of resources on our GPAC website. It's gpacunited.org. And we have links on there on how to report problems with medical devices because you know the medical field is very data-driven. And so we need that data. So if patients aren't reporting problems, they don't know about them. So they think you know these devices are safe. 
Um, so we have links on there on how to report not only in the US, but to um, report to other countries like Health Canada and Australia. And, um, you know, anybody is more than welcome to PM me or email me. And I'm, I'm happy to help navigate through whatever questions or issues you have, even reporting doctors. If you feel like you were mistreated by a doctor, I think people don't understand that you can report them for that. And, you know, I think the more that we do that, the more we're going to have to start seeing them held accountable. I mean, one or two reports, the medical board is willing to overlook. But if a doctor has 15 reports of patients complaining, they're going to have to look into it and do an investigation. Yeah. Maybe yeah. suspend a medical license or revoke a medical license. So speak up. And, you know, it is a lot of work, but that's part of my job is, you know, I'm, we're strictly self-funded. We don't, we don't get paid for what we do. Um, but a lot of people don't know how to do it. So I will help people write letters to report their doctors or write letters to their Senator. If they want to pass a bill in their state, um, whatever it is they need help with, we're happy to help. That's so incredible. And, um, I, of course, will have all your info, how to reach out to you in the show notes. Um, and you're mainly, I know you do a lot on Instagram. Are you, where else are you? Yeah, I'm, my, my name is super boring. It's just Robin Tout on everything. So Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn are the three that I'm most active on. Yeah, well, that's not super boring. That's okay. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. just yeah. look me up everywhere. And I'm yeah. You know, I yeah. don't have any fancy fun names because I'm just not creative like that. So yeah. Yeah, that's okay. People know who you are and your name is getting out there. And I mean, just from the time that I found you and your information and the information you're putting out for women is just so incredibly helpful. And I think you are making a difference and you're, you're helping advocate for these women. And even if you're just planting seeds where you're making them think about it and maybe they start checking into things more. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And I love what you're doing and um, women just need to know and be informed and make good decisions. And you're helping with that. So thank you for all you do. I'm just I'm so excited that you got to be here and we've had this planned and I love that it, that we got to do it finally. So I, I'm happy to share your story out there and just honored that you were on. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, great. You're so welcome. Okay. Well, we will keep, uh, keep up with you on social media and um, we will talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Good. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.